Zephan Blacksburg back here again with another episode for our virtual summit and today I'm joined by Maria Ross and Maria is a brand strategist, author, and speaker who believes cash flow and creativity are not mutually exclusive. As creator of Red Slice, she advises startups, entrepreneurs, and small to mid-sized companies on how to craft irresistible brands. She is the author of Branding Basics for Small Business, How to Create an Irresistible Brand on Any Budget, Second Edition, and her humorous and heartfelt memoir about survival a near-fatal brain aneurysm called Rebooting My Brain, which I am actually halfway through reading right now. A dynamic speaker, she has delighted audiences ranging from the New York Times to the Chamber of Commerce to blog her and has appeared in and written for numerous media outlets, including MSNBC, ABC News, The Huffington Post, Forbes, NPR, and Entrepreneur Magazine. She lives in San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, baby boy, and their precious black lab mix. And you can learn how to tell your irresistible story at red-slice.com or spark up a conversation with her on Twitter at Red Slice. And uh, what's going on today, Maria? Just a crazy busy day. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I guess sure that's... you have going on too. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the same story for, for a lot of us right now. And right. It's, uh, I think that you just kind of embrace the work and enjoy sure. the moments where you get to take a break and uh, talk to people halfway across the country and uh, have some fun. Absolutely. Cool. So I am halfway through this book that you wrote. It's called Rebooting My Brain. And I really think that this would be cool to share with our audience today because, you know, you had a very interesting thing happen in your life that was unexpected. uh, And you had the ability to truly recover from it in a great fashion. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I want to share with people kind of this story of being able to regain your identity and gain a sense of who you are. Uh, And if you could, you know, maybe just start back with a little bit about what actually happened to you. Sure. Um, Yeah, this is a hopefully a good lesson for people about anything that knocks you out of your life. Um, You know, it's it's going to happen at one point or another. Something is going to knock you out of your life. For me, it was it was a health crisis. And back in two thousand eight, about six months after I started my own business, um, I had been having some symptoms, but I ended up collapsing unconscious on the floor in my home. Luckily, my husband was home at the time, and it turned out that I had had a uh, ruptured brain aneurysm, which uh, many people do not survive. But luckily, my husband was home and got me to the hospital in time, and they performed emergency surgery. And um, I spent about six weeks in the hospital, um, many months, um, and and a little bit of years in recovery, sort of learning how to deal with my my cognitive deficits, um, a lot of emotional and psychological things that happened as a result of brain injury, which are, are very common to brain injuries, regardless of what type. And um, I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version of this whole story, obviously. But um, but really just learned how to get back into my life again. And, and the most important aspect of this whole experience um, you know, while it was a life-threatening experience, a, a near-fatal brain aneurysm, and I was extremely lucky to have the recovery that I had, um, I think the most important thing that came out of this was because of my my brain injury and my cognitive deficits, as I mentioned, I had to learn how to operate in a whole new way. So essentially, I did reboot my life, which is why I called the book "Rebooting My Brain," um, to just to just work and connect and live. In a, in a slightly different way than I had before because I had to learn how to let go of the old me and embrace the new me that was in front of me now and all the challenges and, and opportunities that that afforded. 
Um, so, so that was the most important lesson to me of that whole experience was, was learning how to let go and say, okay, let's forget about how things used to be. Let's rewrite that script. Um, and I was forced to do it. And in many ways, it was a gift for me. I'm luck lucky enough that I had a really great recovery and I can say that. Um, and there's still challenges I deal with every day, but I've learned to adapt. I've learned to evolve and, and compensate for them, in other words. So, um, so yeah, that was a huge, a huge unforeseen opportunity of, of rescripting my life. Um, and like I said, I really do feel like it was a gift. And, and it's truly the a classic, you know, Phoenix rising from the ashes moment there. And I think that uh, there's a lot of things that come along in our lives where we get the opportunity to do this, right? So it, right. it can happen from, you know, a tragedy. It can also happen from relationships. It can happen from someone just being plain old tired of where they're at and, and wanting to hit the reset button. Uh, so I'm curious to hear, you know, it, I think that I would my one of my fears would be I'd be afraid of losing who I was you know that person that everyone fell in love with and I know there's actually a really great moment in your book that we've talked about a little bit uh, you had a moment where I think like your hospital gown slipped up and you know you said well shit and your friends are there the nurses there and uh, your friend was journaling about this experience and said you know tiny steps little one or something like that because they were seeing these glimpses of you know the Maria that they knew coming back and this was a huge sign for them yeah I actually you know we didn't talk about that there were there was basically a month of my life that I lost the entire month of August of 2008 I don't remember at all because I didn't start getting my short-term memory back until yeah about a month so there was a lot of things that happened while I was in ICU, while I was um, in recovery in, in the neurosurgery ward. And I was talking to people and I was up and I was aware, but I, I don't remember any of that. So my friends did keep a journal of what was going on during that time, partly to help them cope, but partly also to help them make sense of everything and to document what was going on for me, which was a, a, a basis of, of the book that I wrote. But yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing I had to learn, like I mentioned, there's sort of an old me and a new me. And if you speak to br brain injury patients, they describe a similar experience. But again, like we're talking about whether it's a voluntary or an involuntary break or change that you experience in your life, there's got to be a recognition that you will not be the person that you were before, for better or worse. And for me, it was is this question of, well, does my brain function define my identity? So if I can't multitask, for example, the way that I could before, which I can't. I used to be a master multitasker, and my brain just gets overloaded if too much is coming at me at one time. Um, there's, there's ways that I handle my emotions that I need to work differently with than I did before. There's my ability to absorb stress is not as good as it was before. Um, I'm a much more anxious person. And all of these things are common with brain injuries. But my point is that, um, you know, a lot of these things were part of my identity. You know, how I, how I respond to things, how I respond to challenge, how I respond to work. And I was scared for a while that does this mean I'm not, you know, I've always defined myself as, as these things. And so if I don't have these things anymore, who am I? Um, one of the biggest physical things for me, at least at the beginning when, when all my hair was shaved off <laughs> is, you know, I'd always been the curly redhead girl and, and I am again now, but you know, there was this period of time where I looked in the mirror when I was finally, I finally regained my sight and I thought, well, who am I if I'm not that girl anymore? That's how I'd always define myself. And 
you know, there's a lot of things where they're not bad in and of itself. I wrote about in the book, you know, um, you know, just because I can't multitask the way I could anymore or handle overwhelm or stress or whatever. Those things aren't bad. There's some people that are born like that, right? But it's when it's a change for you that it can be traumatic. When you go from being one way to another way, I, I likened it in the book to saying like, let's say you were always one of four siblings your entire life. That's how you identified yourself. And let's say one day you woke up and you were an only child. And now that, that's not your story anymore, right? That's not who you are, quote unquote. So I went through this big journey of how do you define identity? And where I came to was that there's elements of who you are and your spirit and your moxie and, and how you love and how you relate that don't change, um, whether it's, it's through a, a, an injury or whether it's through a voluntary break or, or a big step that you take. And so I think it's important for us to redefine how we explain our identity and what are really the most important things is really the most important thing of your identity that you're a marketing consultant maybe not maybe it's more important that you um forgive more than than you've been hurt you know something like that really putting putting the emphasis on the things that matter to our identity yeah so what type of things were you finding that uh, you might have used as part of your identity that perhaps didn't really serve you anymore or, or maybe even never served you in the first place, but they just kind of got stuck there. Because I know that for the longest time after I had gone through my depression in my childhood that mm-hmm. I identified as this diagnosis of bipolar manic depression. So when it came up, I would tell people, I am bipolar, but I'm not. Like right. anybody who would meet who me. Yeah. Right. So like... Um, what what came up there as far as, you know, things that didn't ever really serve you, but you had identified with? Well, I think I kind of alluded to some of them. So, so you know, and I, I should put the caveat here that, you know, when you get back into your life after an, after an experience like this, it's not that you're you're going to forever be this this Buddhist master of, of how you approach everything. You get caught up in, in the hamster wheel just like everyone else, you know, every day. But you know, I'd always define myself as this type A personality, you know, um, driven to perfection, um, overachiever. And while that's, that's good from a fighting spirit of where I was, you know, that was actually getting in my own way during my recovery of this idea of perfection, this idea of like, well, no, things have to be a certain way, right? And it wasn't until one of my therapists many months into my therapy said, look, you have to, again, you have to forget about what you used to be able to do. You have to focus on what you can do now and how you need to operate in this new paradigm. I'm sure that's not the word she used, but, but it's true. And so that trait of mine, which had served me so well in my career, in school, in, um, you know, when, when I had to perform or compete or whatever, it was actually getting in my way in this new reality. And so I had to let go of that a little bit. And so I've tried to, you know, if the dishes are not clean in the sink when I go to bed at night, that's okay. You know, if I, if I'm slightly late to a meeting, it's not, you know, the world will not, the sky will not fall and, you know, people will be upset with me. And, you know, I always had these images of the way that things should be. And so that really didn't serve me during my recovery. And those are the things that I try to let go of while still retaining the good parts of that. You know, my ability to deliver great work for clients, my ability to to show up well in the world. You know, I don't want to lose those things, but I've learned to kind of let go 
of the of the tight hold, I guess you could say, that, that that's what causes you the anxiety, that's what causes you the stress and makes you, quite frankly, not a very nice person <laughs> to be around. Oh, I'm sure. It, yeah. And I think that letting go is a very tough thing to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, with all of the confusion and frustration in your mind, I'm sure that it definitely gets expressed outwards. And so I'm wondering, you know, it sounds like the first step of, you know, refiguring out your identity mm-hmm. is to kind of let go of the concept that you have full control because you don't. And, Absolutely. you know, trying your best to internalize that you don't have to be there's nothing dictating that you have to be that person that you were um you know it's understood that yes you were that person for a very long time so Mm -hmm. you're obviously attached to that idea Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have the choice to change so what did you start noticing uh in your own life that happened when you started to let go of this you know, want for control of everything. Yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely a a very distinct point in time during my recovery where once I got that concept through my head (laughs) that, okay, it's not about what it used to be, it's about what it is now. So let's, let's forget about the past. Let's focus on what's in front of us now and figure out how to accomplish our goals and, you know, overcome my challenges as they exist today. From that, literally from that day forward, my recovery kind of kicked into to high gear because I, I got out of my own way. And so it was all these limiting beliefs that were that were holding me back and frustrating me and getting me so upset. And I was crying all the time. And, you know, it was just all these things about well, why can't it, why can't I just get back to the way I used to be? And it's this realization that no matter what change you go through, you know, for me, a brain injury, but for other people, it could be a divorce or a diagnosis or a bad relationship. It's, um, you know, get out of your own way and just go, this, this is part of my story now. And obviously, because this thing has happened to me, my story has taken a different path. It has to, right? If, if something happens to you in the middle of your journey, it, it by its very definition of being a, a, an important, compelling event, it's going to change who you are from that point forward. So instead of worrying about how it used to be, it's that acceptance of it's different now. How do we, how do we deal with things now? Right. And so I'm guessing that you probably had to look to other people for examples of how to live your life at this point, you know, or, or I don't know, maybe certain characteristics or traits that you kind of wanted to put into this new melting pot. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you're kind of relearning right from wrong in a sense. Is that, I mean, is that correct or somewhere close? Well, it's, I, I think for me, it wasn't quite that drastic, but, um, but, you know, it is this idea of what, I had to kind of evaluate, like I mentioned earlier, how did I define myself before? And were those definitions of my identity really what mattered? Or mm-hmm. were those really the things that made me me? And I found that some of them were just surface, right? I mean, like the red hair thing. Like, let's say my hair had never grown back again. Like, so what? Who cares, right? That doesn't make me who I am. That doesn't impact how I love or how I show up in the world. And so um, part of it was well, what what things do I have that are still part of my identity that really matter? And, you know, some people define themselves by their profession. Some people define themselves by their role, you know, if they're a mother or a wife or a daughter or a son or an uncle. But, you know, look at those things of, of take notice of how you talk about yourself. When someone says, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself, what's your go-to? 
Um, and is that really the most important things you want to be communicating the world? I mean, obviously, it's not going to be appropriate to mention different things in different settings. But what I'm saying is take notice of what, what's the thing that you say first. And I actually find myself noticing that about other people now when I ask people to tell, them, tell me about themselves or when you, you see people in an interview or something like that. You know, what's the first thing that they say? Because that's very telling in what the most important thing to them in terms of their identity is. And um, it's coming to that realization that some of those things are just surface and they're transient by nature. And if you cling too tightly to those things that you know are going to change at some point in the future, you're going to be constantly spinning and lost because you won't have any anchor to who you really are. Yeah, I mean, I've found in networking events and things like that, my first question, and I know this is bad and I have to work on it, is always, you know, what do you do for work? And Mm -hmm. we don't really learn much about a person's character from that. You know, if I answered anybody and I just said, I'm a videographer, most people actually say, oh, you do weddings. And I I actually don't. (laughs) I I don't do weddings at all. I despise working weddings most of the time. So for me, it's like, that says nothing about what I do. All right, mission accomplished there. Let's try this one again. Right, right. And like I said, it has to differ depending on the setting. You can't be really esoteric if you're in a networking setting and be like, well, I'm, you know, someone who believes in imagination. And I mean, you can't kind of go off the deep end, but, but it's important, you know, sort of like, you can even have a, like, this is what I do for a living, but what I'm really passionate about is X or, you know, but what really gets me excited during the day is Y, um, you know, and, and delve into those things about yourself and, and what makes you who you are. And it's, this is more the definition for yourself rather than, you know, what you might communicate at an event or at a networking function. But um, I just think it's important that we don't get caught up in defining ourselves internally by what we need to present to society, if that makes sense, because that is what will change. And that's what, again, like I said, if you, if you, if those things change, you're going to be sort of like a ship off its mooring and you're not going to know, know which way you're going to start drifting. But if you really hold tight, you know, and I, I had to go through this soul searching too, like what makes me who I am? Wow. I really love animals. I, um, I really am a very affectionate person and believe in the power of physical touch. I believe that you can see God in a redwood grove just as easily as in any church. You know, these are, these are things I really had to think about. I mean, they're kind of coming off the cuff right now, but those are things I really had to think about, about does it really matter that I can't, you know, be on the phone and do a conference call and be typing an email at the same time because I can't multitask the way I used to? That really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. So um, just kind of holding tight to, to what those pieces of your identity are when you go through those changes or, again, whether it's voluntary, voluntary or involuntary, um, making sure that you really have a sense of who you are on the inside. Yeah. When you were going through this, I'm just curious, was there any one particular trait about yourself that you knew you had to hang on to because it's core <laughs> values and everything that you had stood for? you know, is exactly who you want to be? Or was was that getting redefined as this happened? Well, one of the things that did serve me well was my stubbornness. So I, that, that is a part of my identity. I've always been very stubborn and, and slightly impatient. And um, actually, because of the brain injury, ironically, my impatience has gotten worse just because of some <laughs> neurological issues. You know, you have to learn how to kind of 
deal with your anxiety and your, your, your impatience a little bit better when you have a brain injury. Um, so yeah, I, I joked with my therapist that like, well, I had a short fuse before, but now it's like, (laughs) but, um, but that actually served me well because there was, you know, people asked like when you were, for example, I was blind. I couldn't see for six weeks because I had some damage to my retinas that ended up getting, I ended up getting surgery on those. But people say like, were you worried you were never going to see again? And I was like, no, like to me, it was just, no, okay, there's a surgery that solves this. Okay, then done. Like that's what we're doing. And so this, this, I wouldn't call it like a blind obstinance, but the, just this like, no, we'll, we're going to, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to figure out a way out of this actually served me well, because I think it didn't let me get caught in a, oh, woe is me. You know, I can't do this and I can't do that. And then things will never change and they'll never get better. So whether it's a stubbornness or like an innate optimism, I think that I absolutely that that served me well during my recovery because I, I never allowed myself to too often get caught in this this oh, this is the way it's going to be from now on. It was just sort of a, oh, nope, this is the problem. Let's identify it. Let's educate ourselves about it. And let's figure out how to overcome it. So while you while you said stubborn, I actually hear a lot of patience in there because <laughs> I feel like you probably you have tell to, my husband. <laughs> you probably have to be quite optimistic, though, at least in a situation like this, because I think many people are quick to say, all right, you know, it's the end of the world. This is probably the worst day of my life, you know, and and it's so easy to get stuck in that cycle of just woe is me all the time. So it sounds like there was definitely a lot of optimism. Was there something that uh, just kept you hanging on and and just thinking, you know, just a little bit longer? I've just got to, you know, every day is getting better. You know, is there something that I know your husband was huge for you and and monumental in this situation and making sure that things rolled smoothly. Um, So maybe that was your answer. Maybe I gave away the secret. But uh, I'm curious to hear, you know, what was it that that really kept you hanging on? Because so many people could just say, I'm done. Yeah, I think it's it's just having that supportive community. I mean, whether it's your husband or your, you know, for me, my friends were just amazing. They just came, they flew in from all over the country. They helped me with everything from advocating in the hospital when obviously I couldn't remember anything that was being said to me or that I was saying to just driving me places when I couldn't drive anywhere. And so I think that was the biggest thing is, is being comfortable with accepting help because as a very independent person, that was a little bit hard for me. I didn't want to be an inconvenience to people. Um, and just getting comfortable with, you know what, this is, you would help someone if they asked you, so recognize that your friends and your family want to do something to help. And so it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help, which I think I've always thought that it was. And that's part of the thing that has I've, I've rescripted for myself from this whole experience is that asking for help is actually not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of someone who's very smart and resourceful. Because why on earth would you sit there and struggle to do something that if you just asked for help, and someone was willing to help you, you could, you're, you're basically using your resources, right? You're finding your way out of something. It's not, it's not about pity or it's not about, you know, oh, I can't do anything for myself. Poor me. I'm a victim. But it's like, hey, these are the things I need to accomplish today. These are the things that I need help doing in order to accomplish them. Um, I'm going to go see who can help me. And it's the same thing, you know, with running your business. We, we can't, we can't do everything ourselves. So, so what's our plan? 
and where are the gaps of what we're able to do and what we might need some outside expertise and help in, and then being resourceful and being smart. And as soon as I flipped that switch and, and rescripted that that narrative in my head, it it just it made a lot more sense. It was sort of like, why wouldn't you ask? For help? <laughs> it's actually stupid not to ask people for help when you need it because. You, you'll probably, you would most likely do the same thing for somebody else yeah, um, yeah. and wouldn't even think twice about it. So why, why do you think you're going to be that much of an inconvenience? Now, I'm not saying taking advantage of people, but, you know, it's okay if someone's going somewhere and you say, hey, you know, I can't drive. Can you give me a ride? That's okay. You know, so it was getting comfortable with that, I think, um, combined with having the community there that I could rely on that really helped me. And the other great thing, Zephan, is also that community can remind you of who you are. You know, we were talking about identity earlier. And those are the people you can go to and say, you know, what do you, what do you think makes me me? What do you think are my, my best qualities or my areas of improvement? Or, you know, it's amazing what an objective opinion can do to help you sort of reconnect with who you really are and what's important. Uh, that's really interesting. And I think that so many people have this opportunity in front of them right now to mm -hmm. to do all these things and it doesn't require uh you know a tragic experience i think that mm -hmm. anyone can choose to go to their friends and reevaluate where they are uh mm -hmm. and you know ask for help and and look at your weaknesses and examine what it is or where it is that you want to go and right. so i i really enjoy hearing your story because there's so many useful uh things, you know, useful tips and things that, that came out of that experience yes. for you that uh, anyone could really put out there. Um, for sure. Real quick, I wanted to just fast forward to the future and where you are now. I mean, you've got a successful business. Uh, and so that's been something that has proven, you know, you, you don't have any limitations in living a normal life, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about the business and where that's gone. Yeah, so um, I basically jump-started the business after being away from it for a while and, um, you know, just really got back out there and, and, and got involved with, with doing more client work. And so the business has grown and, and it, I mean, it's just me. I want to keep it just me. I'm not trying to build an agency, but I get to basically work with clients that I like, doing work that I like and helping them build their brand stories and positions. Um, and I pick and choose my clients carefully because of the overwhelm issue. This is kind of where the I have to work differently. I can't take on too much, which I actually think I just did this week, but <laughs> I can't take on, you know, too many clients at one time. Um, especially if I want to deliver quality work for them. And, and that's really, for me, it's about quality over quantity at this point. Um, but the business is going well. And since I published two books after my injury, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. I do speaking at conferences or for companies. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy the live interaction aspect. Um, and I am also, you know, on a side note, because of this experience, I'm also a brain injury awareness advocate. I've turned my experience into advocacy for other people who, who don't have the voice and the ability to articulate um, that I, you know, I'm blessed to have recovered with about their experience. And so I, I do a lot with uh, the, the Brain Injury Network of the Bay Area um, and some other organizations to help raise awareness of what, it, what the effects of brain injury are really like 
from an insider's perspective, <laughs> from, from inside my own head, this is what I went through, um, which is, again, why I wrote the book. So um, right now, the business is really just the consulting and the books and the speaking, and I'm getting ready to launch a series of mini guides for entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial types that is like my best advice around um, branding, around inspiration, around time management and goal setting. So um, I'm hoping to do more of that, that kind of self-publishing as, as we move forward. Very cool. And so I ah. am reading one of your books right now. I have the other one over here. I'm tying some things together now because I'm realizing mm -hmm. that uh, branding is a huge part of creating an identity for a company. Yes. And so <laughs> that comes together, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see how everything is kind of played out. Uh, you know, I'd love for you to share uh, both the titles of your books, where people can get them, uh, where they can check out more information about you and, and learn about your company and follow everything going on in the life yeah. of Maria. Well, I would love if people would sign up for The Juice, which is my weekly, sort of weekly email um, with insights and inspiration about creating a business and a brand that's irresistible. Um, whether it's a business that you're creating or you're, you're launching a big project or you're trying to write a book or you're trying to, to you know, make your art your, your means of, you know, your, your living from your art. Um, so it's, it kind of covers the gamut of, of different professionals. So it's at red-slice.com. They can sign up and get a free guide. And um, I, lo I love Twitter. I use Twitter most of the time. So if people want to connect with me, they can, can connect at Red Slice. And the names of the books are Branding Basics for Small Business, How to Create an Irresistible Brand on Any Budget. That's now in its second edition with really great expert interviews from very well-known people, Alexandra Franzen, Sarah Von Bargen, Mike Michalowicz, Jay Baer, um, and tons of case studies on how small businesses did this. And um, the other book, as we mentioned, is called Rebooting My Brain, How a Freak Aneurysm Reframed My Life. And both books are available on Amazon, and I'd be honored if folks want to check them out. And if they do, kindly leave a review. That's great for, for authors like myself. But, um, but really, I'm just about connecting with people. So if people just want to connect on Twitter or on the Red Slice Facebook page, um, I, I would love for them to reach out and say hi. Awesome. Well, thanks for spending some time with me today. The, it's called The Juice. Is that what it is? Yes, that's what I call my, my, my weekly email. But uh, yeah, our tribe, our community of, of rock stars and change makers, I call them Red Slice Nation. Awesome. So hopefully folks will want to join Red Slice Nation and get some, some goodies and some great content to help them move forward. Good stuff. Well, everyone head on over to it's red-slice.com. Yes. Just make sure Red you're going to the right slice. one. Uh -huh. And uh, definitely check out the juice and everything going on there. And uh, thanks for taking some time out of your day. And it's always great to speak with you and to catch up. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Hope this is helpful. Absolutely. We'll see you soon.